This is PPC Town Hall, hosted by Fred Valles from Optimizer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of PPC Town Hall. My name is Fred Valles, and I'm your host today. So uh, we've got the great fortune of having two brand new panelists, both of them experts in the topic we're going to talk about today. So uh, the topic of the day is going beyond ROAS when you have an e-commerce store and you're uh, advertising it on PPC or doing digital marketing. So uh, depending on what type of business you run, you may have different goals, cost per acquisition, return on ad spend. But what ends up being true is that those goals are really things that Google has put out there. These are Google metrics, and they often don't really correspond to the goals that you may have as a business. So what I always find funny and fascinating is that Google keeps talking about cost per click and click-through rate and cost per acquisition and ROAS. Yet when you listen to an investor call um, do, do, for a public company on the stock market, they almost never talk about these same metrics. They talk about profits. They talk about revenue, right? So where is that disconnect? And what do we do when there is actually a disconnect between the metrics that Google gives us and the metrics that we care about as a business? So that's the topic for today. So uh, let's get started with PPC Town Hall. All right, and our two experts for today, welcome Frederick, welcome Andreas. Hi, good to see you again, Fred. Yeah, I know. Usually uh, we meet up at SMX Advanced in Seattle. Um, so let, let, let me start introducing you, right? So Andreas Reifen, so he's the founder uh, and CEO of Creolytics. And uh, Andreas, uh, I really respect because I've seen many of his presentations at SMX Advanced. So uh, that's like the smallest version of SMX that they do, but it's often where they bring in like the world's best experts. Uh, and not only is Andreas a speaker at that event, he's also one of the, what they call, mad scientists of PPC. So he gets to put on a white lab coat and share some of the, the crazy research he's been doing over the past year. Um, and I've always really enjoyed the presentations that you've given and the insights that you bring about, um, you know, how things like automated bidding are working, how you optimize for, um, you know, for e-commerce. So Andreas, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you calling us from today? Um, I'm, I'm in Berlin actually currently, and I missed out SMX events unfortunately, um, like all the different conferences. So I'm really glad to join here um, remotely. Yeah, and uh, well, you, you didn't really miss out on it, right? Because it didn't actually happen. But I also understand you're stuck in Germany right now. I'm stuck in Germany. Yes, um, I um, took a flight to Berlin, where we are headquartered. I'm usually based. I'm out of New York. And I expected um, that the travel ban would be lifted, which, which didn't happen. And if you're not a U.S. citizen um, and uh, neither have a green card, there's no way back for you. So um, that's why I'm sitting here and waiting for change. And eventually I'm going to take a hack traveling to some other location, staying for two weeks there, two days, and then take a trip to the U.S., which might work or eventually not. Let's see. Okay, well, fingers crossed you come back soon. Um, and it looks like you've been able to keep up with uh, haircuts, although I assume clippers were involved. Actually, still my Corona cut, um, which was the best way to get over the crisis. 
Um, but I, as hairdressers are open again, um, my hair is going to grow um, back to where it was. Nice. And then I want to bring in Frederick Boysener here. So Frederick, you run a company called Profit Metrics. We haven't really met uh, in person yet, but I did have a talk with you a couple of weeks ago. Um, and really liked the topic uh, that you brought up, and I thought it was very relevant to what we're doing here today. So uh, you've been around in this industry a while too, right? So tell us about you. Yeah, I've been in, in the e-commerce industry for like 12 years, and um, I run a company called uh, Profitmetric, where we help um, e-commerce companies get some transparency in what they're actually making in profits after ad spend and after fixed cost, and uh, enable them to get the real profit inside of the marketing channel so they can optimize and uh, measure with the real profit. So how, how did you become so smart on this topic? Did something bad happen along the way? Yeah, yeah. I had a, um, a scale-up, an e-commerce company where we scaled really, really fast and, and top line was growing and uh, we were like everybody else using a target ROAS that we calculated and um, that target ROAS, um, I had some customers, but loyal customers coming in, taking bigger um, basket sizes, bringing up the, the average ROAS because they made more profit. So the ROAS target I used on Facebook and Google for new acquisitions was actually wrong. And I thought everything was good. Made face, uh, case studies with Facebook and Kissmetrics and suddenly I realized that I was actually losing money. So I actually scaled into a bankruptcy and started all over, built the company up, uh, built my own little tool, which became Profitmetrics, made an exit on this company when it went profitable. And uh, went in and made this tool available for others. Well, I'm sorry about that, uh, that you had to take the hard way to get there, but it looks like things are going well now. And by the way, I love the, uh, the Scandinavian minimalist design that we have uh, with your black background. Sorry, white, white on white on black. It's, it's amazing. It looks great. Um, and Andreas, love your uh, neon sign there that says Creolytics as well. <clears throat> so uh, the folks watching, if you want to say hello to the panelists uh, or ask questions, just put that in the chat box. In fact, if anyone wants to say where they're calling in from today, we'd love to uh, see that and put it up on the screen. Uh, Andreas, um, tell us a bit about your, your story. So the what was your intro there? We didn't really talk about this, right? Uh, you also had kind of like a rough path to get here to become the expert. So what, what happened, I was in a marketing lecture at university and the professor had talked about Google AdWords and it's so amazing. You can bid now on keywords and you can um, position your um, your ads on the first position. You generate a lot of traffic and that you might not be profitable, but you can bid down and just pay a little bit and then you don't get traffic. So somewhere in between there's this sweet spot. And then I started reading and it was the times of these file sharing services, eMule and BitTorrent and all that stuff. So I scrolled around and came across a book which said, get rich in 30 days with affiliate arbitrage. So open up your Google AdWords account, um, sign up in the Amazon partner network, buy the traffic from Google, shift it over to Amazon, you're going to be rich. So um, I tried. Um, and when all my pocket money was gone, I decided to apply for an internship, um, went to South Africa to a company called Clicks to Customers. And that's um, where I actually learned how to properly do it. And Is that Vinnie Lingham's company? Sorry? Is that Vinnie Lingham's company? 
Exactly, Vinnie Lingham. Yes. Oh my God, you have a Vinnie connection too. So Vinnie was actually my neighbor for many years. So after he moved from South Africa, uh, for those of you who don't know him, so Vinnie was like one of the mega affiliates back in the day. He started a whole company in South Africa around it. And then eventually moved to the U.S. And uh, when I lived in Palo Alto, he moved two blocks away from me. And then I moved to Los Altos. And then he moved as well to be two blocks away again. Uh, uh, if, you, if you meet him, say hello. Um, he knows me certainly. Um, it was the early times, 2006, I went to South Africa. And um, actually interesting and very related to this topic here. Vinny had a huge block, really successful block at that point of time. And I published an article saying, Ref share in affiliate is stupid. You sh should share profits because it's better for the search engine, better for the publisher, and better for the affiliate. And this really made it, um, I think, into the number one blog post in five years or so. Yeah. With, uh, um, research guys from um, Stanford and Harvard who um, commented on this because everybody was researching keyword auctions and all. It was the new kid on the block at that point of time. And and this is how I um, got started, and um, I really got excited about the whole thing, and then founded Creditix and um, continued with this um, profit-driven um, thinking, which um, is probably the same rationale as um, Frederick Boysen has in mind. Yeah. So yeah, let's shift into that topic, right? Uh, the profit-driven as opposed to the ROAS-driven. But you wrote this post here. Uh, it's a couple of years old now, but I guess it's kind of teeing up what we're talking about the vicious cycle of ROAS targets is killing your business <laughs> so frederick i guess was the exact story right it literally killed yeah. your business <laughs> it did <laughs> yeah and the positive just with the ROAS that return on ad spend has become revenue on ad spend in e-commerce it's it's not return it's it's yeah it's wrong to use it in my opinion the ROAS because you cannot really see what you're making from yeah revenue Right. And that was always the, the interest. So I worked at Google, obviously, and um, I would run into like disagreements with Hal Varian, the chief economist, on what ROAS or how that was supposed to be defined. And was it like the the profit that you made or was it the revenue of just like what was in the basket? And obviously, there's a huge difference between the two, right? So explain a little bit like what is the absolute worst way that you can measure return on ad spend to eventually kill your business me sorry yeah yeah but but in general it, it's just to use an average of all the different combinations with different margins on the product discount code free shipping to use an average here you're like eight testing on one side of it in your marketing platforms and in the other end you are using revenue and just using an average to calculate back if it's profitable it actually don't make any sense but it has just become yeah, the standard in e-commerce today. Right. And so I guess one thing that you started alluding to is the fact that you take averages, but you have different margins on different products. Um, and that's sort of the underlying problem here, right? Is that if you if you look at return on ad and you look purely at the value that's in the basket, but it could be a huge sale. There could be an item that's being returned. It could be something that you actually literally don't make a profit on. So yes, you've generated a sale and it looks like perhaps that sale is within your return on ad spend target, but you haven't made any money for your business. Exactly. Andreas, how would you explain this one? Like what's the fundamental problem? Um, 
It's been a while that I um, published this article, but let me maybe briefly walk you through and I um, can tell a brief story about it, um, how we experienced this. So as, I mean, Fred, or the two of you, you probably know this, usually um, start working with someone and ROAS is the target. And sometimes it feels like it is what it is and just continue doing this. If you then take a look, what truly happens is the following. Um, there's finance. And they set, um, they define the budgets and they set the targets. As they don't really fully understand um, performance advertising in detail, they have some profitability metrics and customer acquisition targets in mind, but they give marketing advertising a ROAS target. What they, what then happens is that um, on the marketing side, you try to achieve exactly this target and could be maximized revenue out of a given budget. So if you just do this blindly, you follow this target, what you tend to do is you tend to sell products which have low margins, products which have high return rates, and you tend to sell all this to your existing customers. Why, why is that usually the case? That's the case because there are smarter advertisers out there and this is the cheapest traffic you can simply buy. And um, if you sell to existing customers, for example, incrementality is pretty low. And, um, and then what happens is you have this, let's say, one-year cycle and um, towards the end of that budgeting cycle, finance will analyze the numbers and they will realize, oh my God, we um, achieved our target. ROAS is fine. But for some reason, we do not understand um, profitability is down. We had calculated with a higher new customer acquisition rate. We had calculated with higher margins and lower returns. And why is this wrong? So the problem here is not the marketing side. The problem is the target itself. Whenever you put out a um, ROAS target, you only can do the right thing if you have people who kind of move away from that pure target and do things which might make sense for the company, but um, actually make the numbers worse. And that's yeah. this is interesting too, right? So you're saying you have to have people doing the right thing. Like, what about automation? Does automation fail equally much? Does it work better or worse? Yeah, I think the only way to keep up a system which is based upon ROAS is that you start layering over hundreds of different rules. Um, product category A needs to have a ROAS of X. Um, product category B or geolocation B or whatever segment you want to take needs a different ROAS target because new customer acquisition rate is higher. And then um, you create this really difficult monster. And once people leave, it's just impossible to maintain. So uh, you're saying, uh, and just sorry to dumb this down a little bit, right? But you're saying for different geolocations, you have to put different rules in place because you might find that in New York, you have higher net new customer acquisition versus maybe in San Francisco, which is more returning. I think, um, Fred, if I recall right, um, at that um, last um, SMX, um, so basically one and a half years ago, a little bit more than a year ago, you said this, that it's hard to aut automate um, things fully because you might not want to have the same target across all different geolocations. And you mentioned one example. Um, if you know that in whatever, San Francisco, customers are way more loyal than in New York, you want to have a different um, ROAS target in place. And right. basically, you can have 
two separate ROAS targets or you work with a different data ingestion. So you could reflect in the numbers right away that, um, that San Francisco is more profitable than um, New York. And then you, you operate on, an, on a true, whatever, lifetime ROI or something. So the question is, do we fix things through um, a multitude of different rules or do we fix them through data in a generic way? Exactly. And I think what you're saying here is um, you have two places where you can fix the problem, right? So you either build this perfect conversion tracking uh, attribution system that takes these things into account, takes these things into account, or you fix it on the back end and you run like the generic ROAS, but you have all these conditions on it that kind of like tweak things along the way. Both and of them are the, complicated. And the difficulty I mostly see with that approach is that... Um, Let's take this um, example again. Um, um, San Francisco, um, highly profitable customers. New York, not so profitable. It's a, just a random example for the sake of making my point. Um, in this case, um, if you run it in an automated way and you aim for the same ROAS, you get the highest revenue because you level the ROAS across these two locations. If you now have a smart guy sitting there who knows that San Francisco is much better, what would he do? He would... Um, lower the ROAS target in San Francisco to push harder while he would um, increase the ROAS target in New York. So um, overall, his numbers would look worse than before while he has made progress. And this is always very difficult to maintain on the long run if your progress is not reflected in your numbers. A huge problem, right? And Frederick, I want to bring you in here, but so uh, Michael who's watching, is asking some really good questions here. So... I mean, it kind of starts with how ready do you think the market is for not just looking at ROAS? And then I think the problem is, um, like Andreas is explaining, these are the metrics that the business tells us we need to go after. How do you explain to someone what, what we're doing here? I mean, it's hard to explain this between the three of us because it's such a massively layered uh, problem. Yeah, but in regards to, to Andreas, also like return rates, for example, he's coming from Germany. It's not... On, it's normal for like a, a clothing company to have like 30, 40% returns in Germany because they come from a past with post order uh, catalogs where they buy big orders and then try the clothes on and send it back. Where in Denmark, it's maybe 15 to 20%. So there's 70 a, in fashion in Germany um, many times. Oh. 70%. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that could be, but, but what I'm thinking is you need to calculate the real gross profit on every single order and then send it into the channels. And then, of course, you need to do the attribution and look at the customer lifetime value. But on the first attribution, you need to work on profit. So what we do is we use like, it is actually return on ad spend, but we use POAS profit on ad spend just to make it like, you know, it's profit. So we calculate all the orders the profit on them, the cost price, the shipping cost, and payment fees. And then we send it into the platform so you can make like decisions that are transparent. And then you can make the decisions of like what Andreas is saying with with locations and stuff like that. But it's 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 like a transparent KPI where revenue is just in e-commerce, yeah, it's too dangerous to work on. Right. So let's break the problem down into the, the two stages, right? So let's put better information, better data into the ad engine, first of all, so that we have better understanding of what's happening. And that, Frederick, that's what your company does, I believe, right? So yeah. tell us a bit about how do you go about a project like this? How complicated is it? Whose buy-in do you need? 
Yeah, but actually we, we, we for example, have modules for most e-commerce platforms. So we get the cost prices in, then we get shipping costs, payment fees. And when an order comes in, uh, we calculate the profit in real time. And then we send it to, for example, into Google Ads server side or Google Analytics server side or Facebook Ads server side. So, so you have that profit with that. Revenue, but you take out the shipping cost, the promo codes that were added. Yeah, uh, even take out like the affiliate commissions that may have been paid somewhere yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 discount when you run sales and stuff like that. People often tend to not tell their their agencies that the rules should change and that if you're using a rules in that period of time, so they're discounting heavily and still using the same rules targets, and then they're losing a lot of money on the sale. Where with when you optimize for profit it will be taken into the calculation that you have given discount codes or sales and stuff like that. So your system takes uh, basically the shopping cart system and layers in all the costs of that sale and then tells you what was still left after that, which hopefully is the profit. And then you take away from that how much you actually spent with the ad engine to drive that sale. Yeah. And you're left with a positive number. Hopefully. But how do you count yeah. that for... Uh, returns like Andreas was saying, seventy percent return in some categories in Germany. We are we are working on returns because we are going server side now. Because I also see there is a big problem regarding client side tracking, where people are missing maybe ten to fifteen percent of all their orders in the platform. So the transparency of the data is is actually flawed. So so we are going server side now, so we can also do some of this um, return and also try to forecast it because I also see it as a problem that the return maybe happens 30 days, 60 days later, but the guys sitting with the, the marketing have already done the optimization on either the profit or the revenue right now. So at some point it should be, right. be forecasted on, on there to be really. Right. It's advanced. really cool stuff that I've seen and not specifically in retail, but is building correlation models and regression models that take today's signals of like what was this user like and what were the attributes around it and then let's compare it to other users that we've seen over the history of the company and how likely they were to return and how similar this customer is to those people likely to return and so by by that way you don't have to wait 60 days for the return to happen but exactly. you can make a prediction today and send that to the engine so that even starting tomorrow the ad engine is going to try to give you more of those types of customers that have the good signals, the good attributes. Exactly. So, so just like, like for example, you can say with returns, if people have like two sizes in the same order, mm -hmm. there's probably a big, big chance of fifty percent of that is going to be returned. So you can already calculate it from that, or and, and maybe on the brands or product if you have the data there. So it should be possible to forecast that. That's something we're working with now. It's not something we have, but it's something a lot of customers have. Asked for. Uh, Andreas, tell us a little bit about how you guys at Creolytics deal with, uh, you know, looking beyond the raw as and putting the right information in the system. So, I mean, what you just said, how you phrased your question, putting the right information into the system, it's a bold statement because I think that's exactly what needs to be done. And it sounds so simple. But um, I think uh, things are changing fundamentally if you compare what we did like two, three, four, five years ago and what we have to do going forward, that's a fundamental difference. Before, we were optimizing keywords and ad copies and landing pages. There were lots of 
things which are now fully automated by AI, but AI needs data input. So you manage everything through data. So um, providing the right information back to the system is key. And what we see that there are um, many more predictive elements in there because um, I mean, it's very obvious that revenue doesn't make sense if you have different return rates, different margins. Revenue is just a very silly KPI, which makes things simpler, but it's it's never as good as um, working on profit unless you have a product with the same margins and same return rates, which is totally unrealistic. You never find that. Um, and then you have the predictive element when it comes to returns, as you just mentioned. So the way we are solving this is that we take a look at the product itself and historical return rates. If there's not enough data, we go to the parent skew and take a look at these return rates. And then we move um, layers up and get more information in and try to come up with a prediction um, when it comes to the return rates. And then it's ultimately we need to put back a value per click when the click happens. And this must be reflected in the system. And what is the value of a click? That's the profit margin of the product sold um, minus the accept, um, expected returns plus what I expect to come in in terms of profits over a certain period of time. This could be just a day, then I'm optimizing just for profitability. This could be a year, then I have some portion of a customer lifetime value reflected. And if I make this visible to the bidding, AI is so smart already today that it will react um, based on what you put back. I think we won't have to care about too many other things, but if we get this right, I think we can actually benefit a lot from the tech out there. Yeah, and so and that's a point that I see quite frequently is people use automation of some sort and then they complain that it doesn't work, but it's not that the AI was broken, it's that the their source of truth for that business was not the actual source of truth. And and then there's a funny example too, right? So, um, I mean, I, I use this one quite often, but as far as last click attribution, versus something more interesting like data-driven, right? So if you have a last-click attribution model and you're selling sneakers, all the credit is going to go to the very specific search right before the consumer buys that sneaker. No value goes to the brand searches, the generic searches like sneakers. If that's the data you feed into an automated system, the automated system is going to say the keyword sneakers is not relevant for a company like Nike or Adidas which is completely incorrect, right? Because it's super relevant. Like that's a huge part of their business. But if you didn't get that AI system insight into that, like mistakes are going to happen. And the reason that this was fine for a lot, many, many years, we all ran on last click attribution. And it's because people like you and me, we were looking at making the bid changes. It wasn't the machine doing it. And we'd see the keyword speakers and we'd see very low returns on it. And we'd be like, well, that's fine. That's probably like an upper funnel, early consumer journey keyword. Whoever, whoever is curious what the impact of what we would call data activation is, in fact, um, should do one experiment. I um, really recommend doing this. You let TROAS run, um, and in one instance, you provide um, first click data, and the second instance, you provide last click data. 
what you will, and then you analyze the retargeting share of the first click setting and the last click setting. What you will see is that you will have a tiny little retargeting share if you do first click because credits are all allocated towards the first click and the engine learns this retargeting stuff just doesn't move the needle because no credits coming in. So it pulls back and vice versa. So it's very clear you use the same bidding engine, the same tech stack, everything is the same, but you just flip the data input. And um, I mean, if you test for incrementality, what is very clear, the difficulty in general we have today is that um, the more inclined users already are to buy, the better the results will, of course, look like, but the lower the, the incremental impact will ultimately be. So nobody will um, can today answer the question whether you should actually bid up on your retargeting stuff or whether you should rather bid down because you have two effects into, into different directions, right? Um, yeah. Last click um, KPIs if you do lower funnel retargeting, um, but low incrementality. You don't, nobody really knows what the true, um, the right strategy would be. Yeah, and incrementality is this huge topic, and I know you talked about it quite a bit last year at SMX Advanced. Um, and the problem, I think, is with automated campaigns like uh, smart shopping campaigns, which are fully automated. A lot of customers use them. A lot of customers say the results look great. But the keyword here is they look great, right? But they can't look inside, like how much of this is being driven by retargeting versus, um, you know, actually new customers. And that's the problem. Oh, with the say again, Frederick? Yeah, our branded searches. Often the, those right? Don't take credit for that. Yeah, exactly. So, so how do you... I mean, how do you go to a customer and, and make them understand that, yeah, the numbers may look great, but you got to look deeper, right? Do you explain that a lot or do you, like, what's the education portion here? Because it's so easy to gloss over the numbers and just kind of like take what Google is saying. How do you get people? Because what both of you are saying, these are complicated projects, right? But these are the right approach to doing things, but it's not the easy way, right? I personally believe that attribution is dead because it has just entirely failed. There are actually, I unfortunately don't have these um, articles at hand right now, but there's one about eBay, another about Topshop, and a third one about um, Adidas. And they all um, are along the same lines. Basically, um, they stopped advertising and they realized nothing happens. Nothing happens. It's just continues business as usual and they haven't lost anything and they believe in phenomenal numbers. And um, ultimately what attribution does, it um, assumes that advertising was responsible for the sale and then it allocates the credits to um, the different clicks based on whatever time decay and uh, whatever um, models you might find. And um, I mean, if you have 10 retargeting clicks and someone has just recently visited the site and put 50 products in the basket, it's quite likely that this person used a shortcut and would not buy. So the only thing which can prove value, in my opinion, is running isolated, increment, dedicated incrementality tests, audience-based, where you can truly find out what the impact is. And this is what... I feel the only field which will never, ever truly be tackled by the large companies. 
it won't be tackled um, to the full extent by Google or Facebook because there's just no interest in making fully transparent what the true impact of everything is. And that's in the job of the marketer to figure yeah. out what I really get. Yeah. And it was crazy because at the, uh, the Google Marketing Live event last year, I was talking to some of the product managers on smart shopping. Um, and I, I was like, well, one of the reasons we don't want to use it is because we don't have insight into the incrementality and like, what are you putting too much into remarketing? Um, and just the way that they looked at me, they were like, wait, that's that's a concern. And meanwhile, like search engine land was ablaze about this topic, right? So there's sometimes such a huge disconnect. Um, and I don't think Google necessarily wants to hide it or if they are trying to hide it, they're doing a very good job looking surprised. But we, it just seems like an oversight sometimes. I mean, hey, we need to understand this as well. They're running a business, and if um, it's a, in the end, um, it's all about ad sales, um, and it's fine. Um, if you buy ads, you need to know that the numbers you see have nothing to do with the reality. It's some random number you get, and the job is to really figure out what needs to be done. And I think that's that was from the very beginning the biggest issue of all the different bidding tools out there because. Mm -hmm. Um, you, they base decisions on some numbers which were tracked without even attribution in place, without incrementality measurement. So all the decisions were based upon a random number. And then you have a better algorithm operating on some random number, which doesn't really make sense in all the cases. I think the market is changing in that sense because there's so many things have gone away that what stays is the measurement piece um, and really understanding how much money you put into different channels or even sub-segments within channels. What we do actually is, is we have a dashboard where we, we take away the attribution fully. So we actually look, what are your gross profit? What are you using on ad spend? And what are you making in gross profit after ad spend? And what is the gross profit after ad spend ratio? So you can actually see, okay, do I use $10,000, $20,000 more this month or the last week? Can you see, it? will our gross profit increase? Will we keep those ratios the same? So after that, you can start trying to allocate it with some attribution, but actually looking at what is to, what is happening to the company, what is happening to the bottom line without looking at that attribution that looked really great in Facebook and really good in Google. And there is some mismatch over the order. So you can actually just look at the financials um, instead of looking at the attribution. So I think we understand the problem. Um, the measurements that we've been using are wrong. The data that we're sending into the systems are wrong. Uh, let's solve the problem here, right? For the people listening in, uh, obviously they can use your tool, Frederick. They can uh, work with Andreas and Creolytics. But how big of a client do you have to be? How much do you have to spend? And where do you start with fixing this problem? What's step one if you haven't done any, if you've just been using ROAS as the target, where do you start? In you start. Doesn't matter. You started, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. For us, you can start with five, ten hours a day, up to as many as you want. It, it doesn't matter. It's just to get that. I think it's really important to get that right KPI, that transparency, all the way from the start when you scale. But of course, it gives you a bigger impact the larger customer you are. But but it, it, it it's the same problem, no matter how big or small you are. You're saying it doesn't matter how much you spend you can put your tool in place and at least start setting in the right data. And then it yeah. just becomes a matter of 
over time building up enough data points so that the system yeah. can start optimizing against it. Yeah. By the way, what's your entry price point for your software? It's around $20. Then right. you have $200, and $250 orders included, but we go up, we charge per order you get in. And okay, so very okay, yeah. so that's great. So to it's know. a page model, yeah. Um, and, that, and that works with Shopify? Magento, WooCommerce, yeah, all the platforms. We can also do universal integrations through tech managers and stuff. So it's really easy. Okay, so that's as long as you have the cost price on the products, it's easy. Like a good starting point doesn't seem to be too expensive. How long does it take to set up an integration? If you are on a Shopify or a Magento, between 15 and 30 minutes. And so okay. we have one click installers for everything. That sounds like everyone should just go and do that today then. Of course, of course. <laughs> Andreas, what about uh, in your case? We have a totally different focus. Um, we are um, rarely uh, managing accounts um, less than $10 million a year. So it's rather enterprise level and totally different approach. $10 million a year, are you talking ad spend or revenue? Ad spend um, $10 million um, per year. That's um, our sweet spot. Um, it's interesting um, where... Um, we invest most of our work because the, it's always perceived as being a very technical problem. And um, in my opinion, we are solving to a great extent an organizational problem because there's a marketing department, there's finance, there are budgeting processes, um, there are ROAS targets across the organization. And um, now everything needs to change. It starts from the whole the data delivery, data ingestion, and activation, which is the technical side. This can work very fast to very long, depending on what setup um, clients have. And you never know what you find. We've seen this working in a in a few days, and uh, we have seen projects where it takes a year or longer because they have no way to access the data. And until you get everything, a year has gone by. But essentially. There must be a lot of education across different um, departments to be able to actually implement this. And um, what we've seen is some, let's say, um, shadow methodology just in marketing, which isn't understood by other departments. And this never really works. And you need many very senior stakeholders to buy into this. And sometimes you can make it work technically, but then there's someone... Yes, but um, now budgets are down because you don't hit the certain ROAS target. You have to say, stop it. We don't have ROAS targets here. We consciously decided to go after long-term profits, customer lifetime value. And this is in large corporate organizations, um, sometimes the most difficult piece. And it's very, very time-consuming. And we are delivering this piece as well, which is, by the way, something... Um, which is more and more tackled lately by the large consultancies like McKinsey. They go, they are going in and review is marketing aligned with the overall business strategy. And the overall business strategy in retail is fully focused on customer lifetime value, while market marketing is doing something else. And that's how we connect it. That's interesting, right? So, and we have a lot of PPC agencies and uh, consultants who watch. So as more tools from Google are becoming automated and bidding is automated and targeting is automated and ads are being put together uh, on the fly based on the component that you have, and then you got the McKinsey's coming in and 
helping people understand the bigger business problem? Like how, how would you recommend someone shift from being a PPC consultant, PPC agency to being relevant, say three years from now? I think it's um, the strategy part is important because as I, I think we, as we agreed upon initially, if the target is wrong, if there's a misalignment between the overall company strategy, what the business wants to accomplish and the marketing side, that's, that's a fundamental mistake. And no matter how good you are in your um, operational day-to-day -day work, you will never, ever close that gap. I think um, having a strategic perspective is highly important. And the second piece is, I think, it's it's going to purely shift to measurement. The large publishers won't want to fully tackle this problem, even if they want it. You don't want to let them do all this because in the end, this is your money and you need to understand what you are getting back. And will become the number one capability going forward. And how much of this uh, measurement is because of the walled gardens and so... Google's not going to share data with Facebook. It's not going to share data with Microsoft. It's not going to share it with all of the others. Um, is there a place where you are aggregating that and then making decisions across the board? I mean, in the end, um, there isn't any reason why you should operate just a single channel, right? Because um, what we are doing is we are, let's call it, assessing the business value of advertising clicks as they happen. And it doesn't matter whether this click happened on Facebook, um, on Instagram, on Google, or somewhere else. We just need to put, put that um, value back. And this is why I think we ha you have this kind of whole layer of measurement which spans all the different channels. And then you ingest it into the different channels if possible. And there are, of course, massive limitations. Uh, in Facebook, for example, it isn't that easy also. Google, it's not as easy if you want to attribute a specific value to a specific click in the journey. It's a question mark whether this is still going to work going forward. In smart shopping, no way. You, you just can't do that. So you lose control to a certain extent. But the, it's how do you get as close as possible? How can you kind of hack it? Because in the end, I mean... I think it's going to work through incrementality testing across all channels and then measuring progress in terms of incremental impact. And yeah, it looks easier, but um, the complexity actually is um, even um, getting higher, I believe. Okay, so buckle up and be ready for a, a significant project, but it's worth it in the long run. Okay, Andreas, Frederick, uh, stick around. We're going to take a look at the news here. So uh, everyone stay tuned. All right. How do you like that music there? Okay. So uh, first news article that I pulled up here. So uh, search engine landed another study uh, asking people when they're going to be traveling back to conferences. And uh, the majority right now says no in-person events until the second half of 2021. So summer of next year, basically. Um, now, Frederick, you're in Denmark. Everything's back to normal, right? Like, uh, yeah, we are starting off in August, August and September. There is some events that that are supposed to be scheduled there, so I think it's allowed now to do it. I think mm -hmm. it's up to a hundred people now, and then it will become five hundred people. But they say in August it should be open for 
for as many people. Would you guys as speakers go back to an event uh, in 2020? I don't know. <laughs> Andreas? Whether I have a speaker gig in 2020. Um, yeah, would, I mean, if something came up, would you actually go and speak in person? I would. Um, I'm, I don't have a reason to be scared. I went through COVID already, so I'm fine. Whatever is needed, I can do it. Um, it's unlikely that's going to happen. I mean, as everybody knows, we're also running our own conference in New York. It's called New York No-Go about retail media. Um, and it's always hard to, um, to get the attendees. And everybody who's running conferences is already struggling um, bringing attendees in. And now... It's probably almost impossible. So you might end up with a quarter of your attendees with a um, by doubling your effort. And I, I think there's no point about running a conference this year. And um, I hope it's going to pick up at, again at some point. I feel it's working. Um, we can have these just virtual conferences, but it's also a different situation because we still know each other from physical experiences, right? Um, mm -hmm. And at some point, I think it makes sense to see people in person again and have a real touch point and not just um, yeah, um, um, remotely. So I think it's okay for a while, but um, I'd like to um, yeah, get in touch again with people from the industry. It's a different feeling uh, being in the same room, but um, it's still possible to get the content across. Yeah. I agree, and I'm happy we have uh, Frederick on the call today. We haven't met him at SMX before or any of the other events. So, um, starting to build new networks, it, it's, it seems to be possible even in the virtual world. But there's yeah. something to be said for having a beer, sharing a little bit too much information, and uh, you know, getting some, uh, some cool details about how stuff actually works. All right. So uh, the second article I pulled up here. Um, Google Ads increased visual options for shoppers and brands. Um, so this was announced uh, just about two days ago, but they have image ad extension. Um, so that's what they might look like on mobile devices. So put an image next to your ad. Um, so obviously shopping ads have been huge with images included in them. Consumers love them, but now there's more images as well coming to text ads. Um, Smart shopping. Let's actually talk about smart shopping for a second here. So this is evolving. Um, Google is automatically pulling in data like free shipping, special offers that you have. Um, and may maybe mostly for Frederick, smart shopping. Do you see people using it? Do you like it? I see different results. Right now, I'm actually seeing it's working pretty well when they jump to uh, using growth profit in the target rollers uh, inside of Google. But but as far as I see, the main problem is you don't know what is going on, like we talked about before. And sometimes Google predicts to maybe take some products that you maybe not have a really good margin on, mm -hmm. but you can make a good revenue. And you hit those lowest target that your financial department set, but you're actually not making a lot of money when using smart shopping. Right. It, it depends. Andreas, I'm going to assume if you have $10 million of ad spend a year in an account, you're probably not running a smart shopping campaign. Correct. <laughs> so what does the ideal structure look like in your mind for shopping? Do you split out campaign by ROAS targets, by, by product lines? How do you do it? 
So um, what we mostly currently focus on is actually on the data and um, just data activation piece. Um, we've um, started tech levels. One is um, what we discussed initially, what is the actual order margin excluding expected returns. The second piece is we calculate or estimate a customer lifetime value. What we do is we, if we know it's a new customer, we put it into three buckets, high value, mid value, low value. So how do you split, sorry, I'm missing how you split your campaigns around that. We don't split our campaigns based on that. We um, split by um, existing customers and new customers. So we have two buckets. So that audiences. Exactly. Okay, and, and what do you, so how do you start with your campaigns? So, I mean, do you tend to group products by category? Actually, I haven't done this in quite a while, Fred. I'm not sitting in front of the computer anymore. So I, um, what I know before we um, switched to um, fully automated QRs, what we did is we split by query type. Um, and we did this very, very early on. So we split by... Sorry? The Martin Rutgerding principle? Yes. So, um, I mean, um, branded terms with a specific product name in there. Second um, category, just branded terms without specific product and generic terms. And then we um, differentiated the bits in order to get the more specific traffic um, with higher bids in. This is no longer necessary, the structure. And we see that TROS actually doesn't benefit from having this structure. Right. Um, I think the whole how we structure campaigns in Google Shopping isn't as relevant anymore since um, TROS is operating on this and they have all the information anyway. So as soon as you flip, I think this becomes a secondary problem and we are rather trying to fix it by data ingestion. Data ingestion. Okay, cool. So you campaign structure doesn't matter that much anymore, but then you do have different audiences based on expected returns, expected value. And that's what you overlay on top of those campaigns. No, we just um, we don't split this by audiences. We um, what we um, what we do is we just segment between existing and new customers because these are different. I mean, there's different value. A new customer always has a customer lifetime value on top, and we we'd like to just segment this to specifically target these guys. Um, the rest, um, of course, we set up audiences. Um, for example, whatever cart abandoners. Um, what we then do is on the on the attribution side, if we find out that this is low incremental value, we can manipulate the conversion values so the whole audience segment gets low credits and um, the bidding pulls back. Um, yeah, that's how we do it. Okay, so I just want to bring in another uh, screen here. So Google just uh, launched predicted predictive metrics. This is only about one or two weeks old. Um, this is not showing any pretty screenshots, but we'll share it in the show notes. Um, but so if you don't have the really high-end capabilities that, you know, Creelytics and Metrics have, this is something that's baked into Google Analytics. It will tell you audiences based on predicted churners, predicted high-value shopping carts, and those types of things. So it's, it's a really good way to get started with some of the things uh, the panelists are talking about today. All right. Um, this one's sort of near and dear to my heart. I, I know it's not as important for both of you, but I do want to talk about it because it is PPC news. So uh, Privacy Shield, which was the data transfer mechanism uh, for GDPR for companies that need to get that data into the United States has been invalidated. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. So any American company that works with European customers 
um, kind of has to revisit how they handle privacy related issues. Um, so that, that's something that's it's brand new. If you haven't heard about it, do take a look at it. It is important. User privacy is uh, obviously only gaining more and more momentum. Um, and this is changing some of the ways that we'll have to take care of uh, making sure our users' data is safe and secure. Uh, also in the news this week, Microsoft Advertising now gives you free stock images for audience ads. Um, now, Andreas probably, you know, making different image assets or ad assets, not a big deal, 10 million a year. Uh, but Google and Microsoft are all doing a great job for the smaller accounts that want to run video ads, that want to run image ads, making a lot more of those resources available at no additional cost to advertisers. And then, uh, let's see, the last one, okay, Google adds new features to responsive search ads. Uh, have you guys used responsive search ads much? So responsive search ads are um, where you give Google different variations of headlines and description lines, and then they automatically put together the ad based on the machine learning and what it thinks is the best uh, variation of the ad for that specific user in that specific scenario. Uh, they were restricted to static text plus dynamic keyword insertion. Um, so ad customizers did not work, but now they do. So now you can automatically put in the location that a user is searching from in a, in a dynamic ad, basically. Um, you can put that in. You can also do a countdown timer. So if you have a special offer, a special sale that's going to last for a few days, you can actually put in the end date. So you can say only six hours left with our huge summer sale. And that can automatically be shown up. And that six hours obviously is going to change depending on how close we are to the end date of that sale. Um, do you guys have any impact, any thought on the impact of putting the promotion in the in the ad text, putting specific discounts, shipping offers? Like what's the, what's the most impactful thing that you can put in an ad to boost profits? I would say it's really hard to say up front. I mean, it's, I recall the old days of our affiliate text ad campaigns and you, um, it's, it varies based upon specific keywords. One can work better for one keyword. The other works better for the other keyword. I think it's just having the variation in there. So, um, multiple variations Google can choose from and then let Google just yeah. take that's the only thing you can do ultimately. Uh, we have an obvious question here. I don't know who wants to take this one. Um, oh, and the text is getting a little bit jumbled. So I'll read it. But if you have a product where remarketing and repeat purchasers um, are an extremely small part of the sales mix, would smart shopping be a perfectly viable strategy? I think the problem with smart shopping is um, mostly that you don't know exactly where your traffic is coming from and whether this is prospecting or website visitor retargeting. And if it's heavy, 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 lowest funnel retargeting, the value is just really small. And if there's a heavy prospecting part in there, then it's fine. I mean, you could try running this with a first click setting um, where you um, don't incur the risk of getting too much retargeting in, but that's the lack of transparency we don't like about it because um, I mean it's 
um, apples and oranges, right? Um, whether you get or retargeting and you get one KPI, which is not very telling if you don't know where it's coming from. All right, so uh, wrap up here. What's the, uh, the big thing that I didn't talk about that you guys think we should? Uh, tell me one more thing before we sign off here. So, uh, Frederick, how about we start with you? Yeah, I think we got through it. Every, uh, we got through everything or most of it. Um, I think it was really good uh, talking about that attribution thing with Andreas that it is getting harder and harder and, and taking a step backwards and, and, and looking a little bit more at how the business is actually doing. That's also a way to figure out what to, to do with your budgets and, and not like overspend because using smart shopping and stuff like that, you don't know how much is retargeting. So you could use a lot more spend than you actually actually was necessary to get those sales. What's, uh, I know it's hard to predict things in uncertain times, but what's your prediction of what's going to be the most important thing in 2021 for uh, e-commerce advertisers? I think it's profit. Always profit, huh? <laughs> well, we all like profit. Yeah. Andreas, take us home here. I can only um, repeat myself what I said before. I think it's everything is on the measurement side going forward. Um, and it's really hard to truly figure out what you are getting. And as AI is taking over, it's the only thing to manage AI is through data input. There is no other way. And I think that's the key reason why we should refocus ourselves away from the many operational executional things towards finding a solid bulletproof methodology to be as good as possible when it comes to measurement. There, it won't be perfect because um, the large publishers won't allow us to, but the one who's mastering measurement is going to be the best marketer around. That's what I truly believe in. Right. And I think that's a really good point. So don't, um, don't wait for perfection to at least put something in place. And I think ultimately all these measurement systems are just trying to do the best possible job of correlating what happens in the real world to what you see in your measurement systems. Um, and so there is no right or wrong way to measure. There's just ways to incrementally get better at it and use that to drive more business value. Good, well, both of you, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'd love to see any blog posts that you write on this topic. I know uh, for people listening and viewing, these were some complex things and it might be uh, easier if we put some visuals around it, but uh, do reach out to Andreas Reifen at creolytics.com and Frederick at profitmetrics.com if you want to follow up. And we'll take next week off, but then we'll be back the week after with another PPC town hall. So thank you all for watching. Thanks for having us. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of PPC Town Hall. You can also see the video versions on Optimizer's YouTube channel, and if you want to reach out to me, your host, Fred Valles, you can find me on Twitter at Silicon Valles or Frederick at Optimizer.com.